You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. up Dolphins and welcome to the drive time podcast part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team your Miami Dolphins how is it going everybody I am your host Travis Wingfield here for another victory Monday or Sunday edition of the drive time podcast and on today's show it is five straight baby That's right, five straight wins, an 8-3 and three start for the first time since 2001 as the Dolphins roll up a 30-burger in the first half of the game and close it out down the stretch against the visiting Houston Texans. 30-15, to 15, your final score. We'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel, quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. We'll give you the five takeaways, the play before the play, teaching tape, and a whole lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So a really interesting game for the Miami Dolphins here. The last game of the month of November. It means we head into December at 8-3. and three. And again, the first time the Dolphins will be at 8-3 and three through 11 games since the 2001 season. OJ joked after the... Uh, game on the post game show that he had season tickets that year his first year with season tickets to the Miami Dolphins after retiring a member of the Miami Dolphins let's go ahead and get to the stats here and again Dolphins were up 30 to nothing at the break in the game 30 to 15 and they get there in interesting fashion I, I I think I would be the best way to describe that 25 first downs to the Texans 14 so some domination in that regard only four for 15 on third down were the Miami Dolphins one for one on fourth down. That's the same for the Texans on their fourth down attempt. They were two for 13 on their third down tries. Miami did outgain Houston 339 to 210. 273 of that came through the air for Miami, 66 on the ground compared to 174 and 36 for Houston. Miami ran 14 more plays, 72 compared to 58. They also had the one turnover compared to Houston's three turnovers. Both quarterbacks or I should say both teams took five quarterback sacks. The Dolphins had four penalties for 35. The Texans had five for 45. And time of possession, not that big of a disparity. 32 and a half minutes for the Miami Dolphins compared to 27 minutes, 33 seconds for the Houston Texans. So uh, a game that felt like it was kind of, I wouldn't, I'd never say over, but it definitely felt like the Dolphins had the driver's seat occupied pretty significantly and pretty confidently really early in the game, especially after that touchdown drive, after the first series kind of starts off a little bit sloppy, some mistakes here and there. And we'll get to that here in just one second. But you saw this Dolphins defense, I thought, really take ownership of what that side of the football can be. And we start there with our takeaways. Number one, defensive domination and a second half of the season adaptation of what we could expect to see going forward. Let's go ahead and first start here with quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, who was asked after the game about what a defensive performance like that can do for the offense and the entire team. 
Here's QB1 on the defense. Man, that was awesome to see from, from our defense. Um, you know, the, the turnovers, uh, the sacks, you know, just the big hits that, that they were making defensively. For me, I'm, I'm used to seeing that uh, because in my first two years, you know, that, that's the type of defense we've had, uh, a defense that would get intercept, interceptions and then would score. Um, you know, and we'd come off with like five turnovers a game, um, you know, my, my first two years. So I'm used to seeing that, and it, it's always great to watch um, when, you know, when, when we're able to also do some things um, really well offensively. And of course, that all kind of coincides with the Bradley Chubb trade, right? I mean, that's one of the notes I have in here among many for this Dolphins defensive performance that was so dominant in this game. And that's kind of the general takeaway here from this takeaway. And we've talked about it on the Wednesday podcast, right? We talked about it back when, before the winning streak, when the offense had the good yards per play and some of the good numbers that typically and traditionally equated to offensive success as far as points scored, but it wasn't translating. And we talked about how typically that will correct itself if you maintain that level of yards per play production. And we kind of got there, right? At least over the last five games. And then the running game, kind of a similar situation where it was coming along, it was coming along, and then it had a breakout couple of games the last few weeks uh, on that road trip and then finishing up here at home against the Browns before the bye week. And we feel the same way, or at least I did, about the pass rush. It was getting close. One of the top pressure teams in the NFL didn't have the sacks to complete that. And you also had quarterbacks that could run around and make plays and all these very gifted scrambling quarterbacks and and not just the guys that can run and make plays with their legs but guys that can evade pressure sidestep get out of trouble and make big plays with their arms I mean you were seeing top echelon quarterbacks week in and week out between Lamar Jackson Josh Allen Joe Burrow Kirk Cousins was down here in South Florida as well I mean Justin Fields' performance in the Bears game so the Dolphins to kind of really put their stamp back on what this defense has been in recent history, but also to ramp up that pass rush and get home as frequently as they did in this game with five sacks. It was three sacks a couple of weeks ago against the Cleveland Browns, but Bradley Chubb's inclusion and that the trading for Bradley Chubb kind of changed the way that you can operate. And it didn't take away from the way you were operating. It put another feather in the cap, if you will, another pitch in the arsenal to find your way to the winner's circle. And that is, of course, rushing with just four or three pass rushers and dropping seven or eight in coverage, which is difficult to throw against if you're not extremely precise and on time and in rhythm and accurate with the football. It's tough to throw into seven and eight-man coverage looks. So when you can dial those up and still maintain a good level of quarterback pressure with only three or four down, man, you're going to be tough to beat. And we're seeing this Dolphins defense get closer and closer to that. And we're kind of seeing them break through the door in that regard against both Cleveland and Houston. And, you know, Cleveland has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. We talked about it with Mark Vandermeer on the podcast on Friday, as well as the, or not Friday, Wednesday, as well as the Tuesday preview edition of the Drive Time podcast. The Texans offensive line is probably the strength of that football team. We saw Laramie Tunzel almost catch a two-point conversion, which I thought was my favorite part of the entire game. And the, the quarterback kind of threw him open on the back shoulder there. And he almost made a cool play, which I thought would have been fun to see him get that two-point conversion uh, late in that game of course you know him coming back for his first game in South Florida since the trade that sent him over to Houston which of course resulted by and large in Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill 
Bradley Chubb and Javon Holland. So just kind of a cool parallel there. But to see that pass rush really get cranked up and go after a good Texans offensive line. Like there was the opening sack of the game was Melvin Ingram winning across face, Zach Sealer winning across face, and then Duke Riley looping around as kind of a delayed stunter, scraping off of that inside pressure and getting around the edge to put the hit on the quarterback to get him to the ground. You had one-on-one pure, pure pass rush wins just beating the guy with speed. Like for instance, Bradley Chubb on that sack. I just really felt like you had the full complement of his abilities available, or I should say on display on that particular look. We saw Christian Wilkins doing it time and time again. We saw mentioned Melvin Ingram. We saw Andrew Van Ginkle gets the interception and return down to the two yard line. We saw Elijah Campbell come on a blitz and really force, you know, Kyle Allen to throw the football away before he wanted to. We saw Raekwon Davis eating up space in the middle up on that front of the defensive line. I thought the two linebackers, again, the two off ball, you know, Mike inside linebacker types in Jerome Baker, and uh, Landon Roberts, who are coming off, in my opinion, their best game in Cleveland, play another really good game with physicality, some big hits, that forced fumble that Jerome Baker had. What a hit that was uh, on the quarterback late in the game. Landon Roberts had a sack of his own. Just constant, constant pressure from all levels of the defense, constant competition in the second level of defense as well. We saw the scoop and score by Xavier Howard. We saw Cater Kohu once again just continue to stick his face in there against screen passes and outside runs. How about that big stick that Eric Rowe put on the tight end to knock the ball free for the Xavier Howard scoop and score? It was just all levels, all phases, all different looks of a dominant defense. And I kind of pulled back on the pass rush there because, spoiler, the pass rush in its own right is going to be a specific uh, takeaway later on in the episode. But I just want to go through the drive counts here because I kind of stopped keeping track at the very end. But the first drive of the game, three and out, four yards. Second drive of the game, it was minus one yard. They did get a first down, but eventually minus one yard. Third drive, 13 yards. Fourth drive, 18 yards. Fifth drive, one yard and a pick. Sixth drive, five yards. Seventh drive, negative nine yards and a fumble lost. Eighth drive, 14 yards, halftime. Ninth drive, five yards. So, I mean, they never got over 20 yards in their first nine drives of the game. That is absolute domination from your defense. On the day, they do, well, the the third down numbers, they were 0 for... 0 for 9, I believe, on those first, no, 0 for 7, check that, on those first nine drives. They had four first downs on those first nine drives. They did wind up two for 11 and with 13 first downs. But again, the game was 30 to nothing before they got their fifth first down in the game. Just really, really dominant performance by this Dolphins defense. Takeaway number two, this started off as Trent Sherfield's value is not like quantifiable. But I wound up making it the entire wide receiver room and the way it's been reshaped around the strengths of their quarterback is one of the biggest tips of the cap I think you can give the personnel staff, Chris Greer, or frankly any executive around the NFL for the way they took a a part of the roster, remade it entirely, and got just value on top of value. And let's talk about Trent Sherfield here first because the fourth down catch was the reason I made this the takeaway under Trent Sherfield at first. Because you see Tua scan the side of the field that has Tyreek and Waddle. Maybe it was just one of them. I'll have to go back and look at it. Uh, I can't remember watching the game live. But I know for sure that one of the guys is over there. And you see him kind of check, check, check. Oh, there's my third read. Let me get that ball to Trent Sherfield, who is in the right place at the right time, knows where he's supposed to be, and can make a tough catch among traffic and take a shot and, and hang on to the football. On fourth down, where you don't have any margin for error, you have to execute in that play. And he makes that catch through contact and just so valuable to have someone that 
is so in tune with Tua, so in tune with the offense, so in tune with the play caller, the coaching staff, and what his job is on a down-in, down-out basis. I just think it's the perfect complement to the two guys that are you know pacing the league right now in terms of yards and receptions and all the fun stuff that Tyreek and Jalen are doing. I can't think of a better compliment than Trent Sherfield and what he brings to the table. I can't think of a better compliment to that than River Craycraft and what he's done, catching a bunch of first downs. He got Seth's game ball today. I took the coog right out of my mouth and took the game ball from River Craycraft and gave him that thing. We played the Washington State fight song there on the pot, on the uh, radio uh, postgame show, but um, not going to play it here because it was a tough Apple Cup, and I'm not going to talk about that any further. But those two guys, Cedric Wilson, what he's providing you in special teams and the, the you know occasional timely catches that he gives you as well. Just one through five, these guys, they dress typically weekly when they're all healthy, have just been so impressive. They're so well-constructed as far as the way they work, the way they're detailed, the way they can you know use their physical traits to beat teams. The way this receiver room's been constructed, it just is ideal to this quarterback strength, to this offensive system. It's been fun to watch. And to kind of continue that, Tyreek, I just put on here the rare, rare speed that he showed on that catch and run on that little drag route where he ran across the entire field. And it, I, I'm telling you, the NFL football field's, what, 53 and a half yards wide? Man, if that thing is 54 and a half yards wide, he might have had a 91-yard touchdown catch on that because they barely got him out of bounds up along the perimeter. And then Jalen Waddell. I mean, the contested catch that he made down down the field. What more do you need to see from the kid about his complete, the complete complement and the complete skill set of his game? I mean, I've been talking about it since last training camp when he caught everything known to man and went on to have a 100-catch season, and now he has a Dolphins record for most receiving yards through the first two seasons of any Dolphins receiver ever. That's Mark Clayton, that's Mark Duper, that's Jarvis Landry, that's Chris Chambers, that's so on and so forth. It's, it's incredible what he's done first two years here in the league with the Miami Dolphins, the most receiving yards, Jalen Waddell, with another big game today. Has he caught five, what was it, five for 85, the same number Tyreek Hill had, six for 85. But I just thought that what Waddell was able to do with that was just so, so very impressive. And the way he's able to, the quick release off the line, the ability to stem and stack receivers and just keep them, you know, kind of at bay. And then the explosiveness, the catching, the, the contested catch ability, the competitiveness, it all jumps off. The tape, and in fact, let's go ahead and hear from quarterback Tua Tungavailoa on Jalen Waddle. Congratulations to Jalen. Uh, you know, I, I, that's news to me. Um, I'm definitely going to go and uh, beat him up about that. I, I don't know if he knows too, so that that'll be that'll be awesome to tell him. Um, but well deserving for for someone like him. Um, comes into work, works his ass off, um, has a lot of questions every time, and you know, if he doesn't get them answered, then He's not going to be in for that play. So a very detail-oriented person and uh, very happy for him. You know, this is just the beginning. He's only in year two, and we got a lot more games to play. I just wanted to play that because I think it's really cool to hear him talk about the details and the way he asks questions and the way he studies and goes about his profession. It goes back to what we talked about with, you know, Waddle coming out of the draft, like, oh, he's a speed merchant. We know he can do that. No, that's that's a slight to his game because he is a complete receiver, one of the best receivers in the NFL, the way he's playing, the way he prepares, just everything about Waddle you have to love. And to kind of put a bow on this point, the takeaway number two about the receiver's room constructed in a way that really magnifies what the quarterback does well, it magnifies what the offense does well because of 
the way they block so well in the running game. You get a bunch of, you know, every time you get big runs down the field, you'll see a receiver putting on a big block or the effort that you get from Trent Sherfield and those kind of ghost motions or those smoke motions where he goes across the formation, has to peel back around and seal a block on the backside. Just really the effort, the, the way they work, and then the skill sets. It's, I don't know how you can say more about this Dolphins receivers room, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a position group in this franchise's history or across the league this year that really saw you know, more put into it and get more production out of those new pieces than these Miami Dolphins wide receivers. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and do takeaways three through five. We still have teaching tape and the play before the play. Plenty to come here on the Victory Monday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. It's a Sunday evening slash Monday morning, depending on when you listen to this podcast. Maybe it's Tuesday. Maybe you're slacking. If that's the case, go ahead and correct that, rectify it. And while you're at it, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. That's all optional, of course, but if you're here, that means you enjoy the show, and that means we're going to keep on going right now with takeaway number three, which is the subtleties in Tua's game. And I'm talking not about the gaudy statistics, about the accuracy, the stuff that we know about. I want to talk about his mobility, his ball handling, and his autonomy at the line of scrimmage to get into positive looks, into good run counts, and to recognize what the defense is showing him and to attack that vulnerability based upon what he sees. But I want to first start here. There was some good back and forth about something I know you all saw on the broadcast. Of course, being at Hard Rock Stadium, I don't see the broadcast, but there was a great story about Mike McDaniel and a 700-play reel, a clip showing to a about why he believes he's a good quarterback in the league. There was some good back and forth, some good discourse between the media and Mike McDaniel, but also Tua Tungavailoa about that. Let's go ahead and go to Tua first, who was asked that question about the 700-play highlight tape that Mike put in front of him when he got here in Miami. I thought it was cool. You know, I think anyone here can attest to someone believing in them and, um, you know, how, how that changes how they see um, – themselves, but also things around them. So perspective. But it, it, it I mean, it, it was awesome. Um, there's a lot of uh, details that um, uh, entail, you know, me sitting down with him and and uh, other things as well. But uh, it, it's awesome. It's really cool. And let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel, who was asked two questions about that first, and then the follow up. Here's Coach on his quarterback. You, you try and. Um, Put yourself in other people's shoes as best you can. I think that's an important component. 
to being a head coach. And, you know, no one really... I think it's hard for people to truly um, wrap their head around what it is to be a quarterback in the National Football League in terms of you talk about as much pressure as one could ever have. You have all these teammates depending on you to do the right thing on every play. Um, people are trying to tackle you full speed while you're making split-second decisions, and you're in charge of making sure that uh, our plus-minus turnover ratio is right. That is a hard, hard job, not to mention this just in anybody that's drafted as a quarterback in the top 10, top five, they want to be good. They want to be good with the, the I, I would not, I would not want to trade places or wish um, any short, any sort of uh, anybody really to, to be drafted super high um, and then fall short of the franchise's expectations. That is a tough place to live in. And that was the motivating factor um, behind everything, is you, you acknowledging that, understanding that, wow, it's hard enough to play an opponent. Um, I better make sure, you know, there's a lot of things that are telling me that this, this player may not have the confidence that he should. Um, so instead of getting mad at that or doing anything, um, it was incredibly important that anybody that would listen um, would be able to s see from a starting point, not just, you know, not just watch the FaceTime where I'm like, yeah, you're going to be a great player, um, to actually know. And it was easy. He, he had the stuff on the tape. And, um, you know, I think that's uh, a credit to him. And he, he's, he's, to his credit, he's really listened, taken the coaching that he's good, said, okay, coach, I believe you. And um, I think you guys have seen the residuals um, up close and personal for a while. And then the follow-up was posed, at what point did you hear about the confidence you're talking about? And so Coach gave us kind of a timeline of that, and this is just really cool perspective. We broke it down in the post-game show talking about how unique we think it is for a coach to just think about that kind of stuff and to have that approach and the self-awareness. Here's Mike McDaniel on noticing that confidence and how it was really just about his own intuition in a lot of ways. This is not going off of straight fact. This was just using the intuition that uh, getting beat up and having your existence be, be completely tainted by people saying that you aren't X, Y, or Z. And then on top of that, um, from my vantage point, I felt like he was put behind the eight ball in, in a way with, um, you know, the, he, he, basically he, his strengths, he couldn't play to, and so if if you're not able to play to your play to your strengths and in your position that you've one of the reasons you've gotten there is you're an unbelievable point guard. I, I felt how could he um, with all the things going on and all the uh, you know it's it's a lot of loud noise that you try to ignore, but 
people are human. So um, it was intuition, and it started, you know, seeing him every practice once he started getting, um, you know, a little bit more confidence each and every day. You could see his personality evolve, and that's when, that's when I learned kind of how deep it was because I'm learning his personality. The first day I meet, meet him is who I know him as. And then you fast forward a month and a half, and he's a different guy. Then retroactively, you're like, wow, that was real. And it's not like he admitted it either to me at the time, live speed. You know, this is something that um, I think he, he, uh, he, he did, all he did was just come to work, buy in, listen, um, and then do what he could control instead of worrying about any of it. Is he chopped wood, got with Coach Bevel and, and Chandler Henley, and they, they've not done anything but tried to work on technique fundamentals and how to play the position at an elite level, and they've done an outstanding job with that, and henceforth we were 8-0 with him. Um, or I guess that's – he didn't finish the game, but you guys get it. <laughs> he wins a lot. Yeah, he does win a lot. We'll cover that here in the final segment of the podcast. But back to Tua real quick. I talked about mobility, ball handling, and the autonomy at the line of scrimmage on top of what Coach told us there about confidence and just, you know, believing in himself and what he was able to do to kind of kickstart that belief and that confidence, which, as we've all seen kind of coming out this year, it's been really cool to witness. But there were several plays in this game where I thought Tua showed you some nuance to his game that maybe doesn't get enough credit. And number one's the mobility. The way he evaded the rush and created off script, off, off his platform, off his original drop on the Durham Smythe touchdown. What more could you want than that? He might have had a lane to run that, but throw the ball. Like, that's what I want my quarterback doing. And he put the ball right on target, right to his tight end, Durham Smythe, for a big touchdown. And a grid celebration there, Durham. At least we didn't go gritty. I love the celebration, Durham Smythe. Uh, I want to see Mike get back in the end zone here soon and see what he has for us next as well. Tight ends not disappointing this year when they find the end zone. We saw it again later at the end of the first half when he had pressure from multiple angles and he had to kind of move around the pocket and get to this side and, and put his foot in the ground and cut back the other direction and then throws the ball away to not just keep himself from taking a hit but also preserving a negative play and getting into just a, a net no gain, an incomplete pass. Good stuff there from Tua. I love the ball handling. We talk about this a lot in the podcast. The great film you know, analysts, the guys that break this stuff down, the, the Josh McCowns, the Kurt Warners, the uh, JTO Sullivan, Tim Jenkins, the guys that we refer to on the podcast all the time, Brian Baldinger, talk about that ball, that ball handling and how proficient it is, how subtle, but how effective it can be in selling those fakes and, you know, help carrying out the entire operation of the offense. That just Not even just the ball fakes, but the, the ability to go from one platform to this and get the ball out in the snap of a finger. I'm talking about a quick pass he had to River Craycraft where the ball is literally... In the belly of his back, I didn't see who the back was on this particular snap. And by the time, from the time that the ball comes back out of the belly's, the back's belly and into Craycraft's hands eight, ten yards down the field, I swear it was less than a second. Now, maybe it's not, but the, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is it happens so quickly and it's rare to be able to do that. And his footwork and his ability to get 
the ball out from those different angles and platforms is a really great trait that not many quarterbacks have, and it allows you to run stuff like a play action off the play side where the quarterback then has to pivot back to the same side of the formation and throw a glance route where your your backs to the defense you don't have eyes to locate what the movement is and the ball is not just like out on time and like quicker than it would be for most quarterbacks the location of it throwing almost blind is perfect it's it's really fun to watch I thought there was a the Jeff Wilson touchdown run they had Tyreek Hill to one side of the formation there and one cornerback was over there and it reminded me of the Chase Edmonds run in the Baltimore game motion away man coverage because the guy follows him run to that gap they motion Tyreek and the guy kind of followed him and they run the ball right into that look. And so I'm thinking Tua went to the line. He made a check. Everyone kind of did that thing where they put their hands to the side of their helmets, which you see this offense do. You see that the Niners do it as well. I don't know if it's a check, but it looked like uh, you know, at least some kind of communication to get into the right look. And I just think that Tua and his control and his autonomy at the line of scrimmage is really high level. It goes right in line with the way that he's been playing all year long, which of course is high level in some of the most demanding aspects of the position. I just think you continue to see it day in and day out. And and then also the, the ability to kill the clock after he took that sack at the end of the first half, the level of maturity and professionalism and veteran awareness of game situation. You need that stuff to compete. You know, talk about December to remember. OJ always loves talking about that into January. If you want to compete in those areas, you have to be sharp in those situational areas of the game. And Tua is showing us consistently that he's been that guy so far for us. Also, how about no interceptions in 174 pass attempts for Tua consecutively? That's a Miami Dolphins record. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Tua was asked about the MVP chance that broke out once again. Keep those going all year long, by the way. Love hearing that. We'll hear from Tua on the MVP chance uh, here in the Week 12 victory. Well, I, I would say it's it's us just playing together as a team. Um, I understand the question of that being an individual thing, um, but really I, I, I'm not able to, to have recognition or any of that without everyone doing their jobs, doing their assignments. And, uh, you know, if a team has success, that's what brings individual success for, for anyone on, on any team. So... Um, you know, if, if we were losing, I mean, that I don't know if I would be getting the recognition I'm getting. I don't know if any of the guys on our team would be getting that recognition. You know, it, it's really it really is a team. So individual success is based off of the team success. And if we can just finish up on this point here with Mike McDaniel, who, again, was asked back about the. 700 play clip about the confidence growing with Tua throughout the course of OTAs. There was a follow-up about that and I want to just play this answer because he gives you a soundbite here talking about his career in the NFL and what Tua was able to do that he hadn't seen from other quarterbacks back in OTAs. Here's head coach Mike McDaniel on his quarterback Tua Tungavailoa and when he really impressed him first originally way back in the spring. Um, I think in the, within the offseason there were some uh, it was definitely in OTAs, and uh, there there was a particular practice in general that um, he he made some plays going against our our defense. That uh, I, I we've been running a very similar offense, a starting point, the same offense since 2006 or or so. So there's course concepts within it that that you build from and. Um, it may look different, but the principles are the same. And there were several plays uh, in, I think, a practice in May that uh, that 
for the 12 or 13 years of cut-ups of running said play. Um, didn't have one example of a quarterback being able to pull off a play that he did. So going over the top with that and then his teammates um, in an authentic way gravitating to him and really, really being excited about very good quarterback play. Once he did that, he, he flipped and never went back. It, it wasn't wishy-washy. It wasn't back and forth. It was more that you had to just scratch and claw to break through something. Um, and once he did, it was, he was good to go. So Tua finishes this day, 14 incomplete passes, a little high number for him. He's usually, you know, we're talking about 61 completion, usually around 75%. Uh, but 22 for 36, 299 yards, a touchdown, a 96.9 passer rating. Great day there for Tua once again. Takeaway number four, we'll make this brief because I talked about it in the open, is just how the pass rush continues to heat up. And I mentioned Elijah Campbell's ability to blitz off the edge and to really get a, a forced throw away in the way that he did. The ability to win inside from those bear looks where you have a head up over the center, two heads up over the guards with Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer and Raekwon Davis inside and how those guys have their ability to disrupt the passing game with their own pressures. The Dolphins off the edge with Chubb and Phillips and Ingram and, and Van Ginkle and just keeps on coming with those guys off the edge. The ability to play that four-man rush look. And, man, if you can get these leads the Dolphins have been getting out to the last few weeks and you can play from ahead with that four-man pass rush and you don't have to worry about blitzing because – or you don't have to worry about as much of the running game because teams have to become one, one, more one-dimensional. You can dial off the dogs a little bit and play four-man pressure and get home with that. Gosh, it's a, it's a recipe for success. We saw them get five sacks with not a ton of blitzing in this game. We'll have numbers for you guys on that tomorrow. But at all levels, man, edge, interior, linebacker, defensive backs, the way this pass rush is kind of, again, starting to kind of match what the tape showed you in terms of production I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And then takeaway number five, and we'll we'll have Tua and Coach give you the details on this, but just some general, I don't want to call it rust or sloppiness, but just some things that were a little bit off early in the game, and then some protection breakdowns that happened. Obviously, four sacks, you don't want to see that. All of those were after Teron Arms had exited the game with his injury in a really short span, the end of the first half, uh, beginning of the second half, when those sacks all occurred. But let's go ahead and hear from both Tua and Mike McDaniel on the sack production allowed by the Houston Tech or by the Dolphins today by that Houston Texans defense. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think with some of the plays that um, I told Mike I, I liked, um, I, I put some guys in some bad situations um, by doing so, and um, you know, like I said, that that's that has a lot to do with kind of finding the rhythm of the game with uh, you know your guys or your players. So you know that that that. You know, I would, I would say that one falls on me. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll be better for it. And then, of course, Coach McDaniel. The, you know, we, we were struggling um, to a degree. It, I think um, I, I would have to – I would have that part in that as much as any, anybody, really. Um, I there, – there was some um, uh, play-calling decisions that – uh, I definitely learned from. I, I, I put some guys in some unfair situations. Um, was way too aggressive, um, and it it was something that you know I told the team after the game that um, will uh, I'll definitely learn from because it was it wasn't fair to them and um, 
when you do have some lineup changes, you can't you can't play the way that, that or put them in positions they were being put in. So um, I don't think that was a fair representation of the uh, the group in general. Even if there was some lineup changes, there they they were able to tee off and. Um, we had an established run game and it kind of put the tackles in um, some real, real tough situations. And so s- something that uh, it will all get better from it. Um, and, you know, the good thing about this, this group of uh, players in that locker room is they'll hear me say that I need to get better um, at, in that situation, not put those guys in the situation again. Um, but the players will take the accountability as well and know that they can work on their techniques to make sure that, uh, you know, if I, if I had a stroke and did it again, that they would they'd perform better. So, yeah, just some things to clean up. You can always get better, right? And this wasn't a perfect game by any stretch. You had some, some off-target throws, some drop passes, the sacks we mentioned there, and I'm sure we'll see some things on tape to, to get cleaned up and get better going forward. But that's what you play the games for. That's why you get corrections. That's why you have Mondays to get corrected and go in the right direction. I was so ready to fire off this tweet about goal-to-go situations and how the Dolphins entered the game 13 of 14, scoring touchdowns. Well, they went two for three on that, so now they're 15 for 17 on the season, 88.2%. We'll see where the rest of the league checks in. If the Dolphins had converted this, the third attempt in the goal-to-go situation, that number is up in the high 90s. But it is not to be 88.2% goal-to-go conversion. Very good number there for the Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back and finish up with the play before the play, as well as teaching tape and some interesting stats about this team in this game. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Back here on a Sunday night slash Monday morning, depending on when you download the Victory Monday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. The play before the play was tough to choose in this game because it wasn't really like a game-breaking moment or a turning point of the game. But I went with the Bradley Chubb sack before the fumble scoop and score because I don't think you get that same look. A check down against, you know, rallying tacklers who wind up punching the ball out. What a great effort that was by Eric Rowe to get in there and put a huge hit on the tight end to force that ball free for Xavier Howard's touchdown scoop and score. But Bradley Chubb, the burst, the bend, the length, the athletic ability, finishing on that play to get the ball out, put them third and a mile behind the chains, creates that situation for Eric Rowe to make that hit, for Cater Kohut to wrap up the tackler, to then allow the hit, to then allow Xavier Howard to pick it up and take it back for six. My teaching tape, and we can do this every single week with the guy if you want to, 
Jalen Phillips is an absolute menace, and he had a play in this game where he pursued Kyle Allen Starting off at the three-tech position, I think is where he was. Maybe it was a four-eye. It's between the tackle and guard on the right side of the offensive formation. He then loops inside around the center, so to the opposite side of the formation, and flushes Kyle Allen out to the right, who boots back against where Phillips came from, and Phillips runs him down. He was like eight yards behind the ball, and he runs him down and lunges out and gets the heels, clicks them together, swipes it with his hand, and forces Allen to go to the ground short of the sticks. And he does that not just every game. Like, every couple of series, he makes one of those hustle plays, retracing a screen, going back against a boot. His effort is awesome. I can't speak highly enough of the effort that Jalen Phillips gives you every single game. He's been so much fun to watch. He gets our teaching tape in this game. How about some numbers for you here? So Jeff Wilson's played three games for the Miami Dolphins and has a touchdown in all three of them. Jalen Waddell now has 65-plus receiving yards in five consecutive games. Xavier Howard scored a fourth touchdown, his second fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, all of those have come at home here at Hard Rock Stadium. Cool stat there for you. The Dolphins have scored 30 points in four straight games for the first time since the 2009 season. Wow, we continue to get those types of stats and information every single week, it seems, here so far. The Dolphins are the third team to score 30 points in the first half this season. The Bengals did it against Carolina, and Buffalo did it against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We talked about Tua's record, 174 consecutive passes without a pick. That previous record was 160 attempts in 2014-2015 by Ryan Tannehill. Jalen Waddell has 85-plus receiving yards in four of his past five home games. Gets the job done here. We saw the first career pick in the career of Verone McKinley, the rookie out of Oregon. Saw Javon Holland celebrate that pick with him. That was really cool to see. It's the Dolphins' third straight year with a five-game winning streak. That's a cool stat. Cheetah has now caught at least five passes in eight consecutive games. Tua is 14-2 and in his last 16 starts. That is awesome. The Dolphins have won 11 of their past 12 games at Hard Rock Stadium, the best 12-game home stretch since they went 11-1 uh, from December 2nd, 2001 to December 15th, 2002. So competing with those fun teams early in the early 2000s, I should say. What else we got here? Two was 278 first-half passing yards were the most in a first half by a Dolphins QB since at least 1991. Dolphins are now 20-14 and 14 all-time in games immediately following the bye week. The Dolphins held Houston to just 36 rushing yards, the fewest rushing yards allowed by the Dolphins since 2017 in a game against the Patriots back on Monday Night Football, actually, believe it or not. The Dolphins allowed just 5.64 yards per pass since Week 7, which is third-best in the NFL, the Texans had just four yards per pass in the game today. And with 85 receiving yards, Tyreek Hill moved into fifth place. Single season all-time Dolphins receiving behind Clayton Duper Duper and Irving Fryer. His 1,233 yards are fifth most in franchise history. There you go. That's the game. That's going to be my time. We'll have the Tuesday All-22 film review for you guys up on Tuesday morning at some time. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice, our post-game show on 560 once every Dolphins game comes to its conclusion. Also, Wednesday night Twitter spaces every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Check out the team YouTube channel for media availabilities. Dolphins today. We have some fish tank and drive time content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Daddy.